and welcome to the 8th Clever Hack Podcast. Today is Sunday, August 6, 2006. It's about 9 o'clock in the evening, and um, apparently it's 81 degrees outside. It's still a little hot and muggy, but uh, not as bad as it has been these past couple days. Well, everyone is well here at Clever Hack. Uh, it's been quiet, but I'm busy here um, at these uh, past two weeks. Work is fine. Summer camp is fine. But as I'm being reminded, there's only four more weeks of summer. Oh, I wish I had a four-week, or a 12-week vacation like these kids do now. It seems that a number of people around here are on vacation as the uh, apartment has, the complex has been pretty, pretty quiet these past couple days. And uh, I can actually make a, a left turn onto Route 3 in the morning. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying uh, summer vacation for, the, for those two reasons. Today's Clever Hack podcast will cover such topics as geeks and music, uh, architecting a site, Fedora Woman, and um, I think that's about it. I think it might be a, a short podcast. We'll, we're going to go ahead and see about that. So, for, so I think that would be a great transition to my uh, uh, for, to, to a few quick notes that I wanted to uh, talk about. First and foremost, um, I'm utterly dismayed about Floyd Landis. Uh, I think the reason why he doped is because uh, if he didn't win the Tour de France this year, he wouldn't have a chance next year because of his hip. And uh, just utter dismay, utter, utter dismay. I, you know, he had such a great story, and he just blew it all away. I mean, even if he didn't win, he still, you know, was an inspiration because of his, uh, you know, working through the hip pain and everything. But, um, but yeah, I just hope that, you know, sometime he'll, uh, he'll, he'll fess up and, uh, and maybe, uh, you know, help stop what's going on. But, um, but yeah, so that's how what I think about Floyd Landis, Landis there. And um, secondly, we're going into more technology news. Uh, this week is the Apple um, Worldwide Developers Conference for those of you who aren't in the Apple loop. Um, and what this means for us, for, the, for all of us normal people, not developers, is that uh, Apple is expected to, really, uh, to have some product announcements. We're talking about the iPhone and new you know, version of uh, the operating system. So we'll go ahead and see about that. But all I really want from Apple is a mobile blog- blocking device. That's all I really want. But uh, we're going to see what uh, Mr. Jobs uh, releases here at the um, Worldwide Developers Conference. So. There's that. Now, moving on to the first uh, media part of the uh, Clever Hack podcast, I guess if you can call it that. I just want to talk a, uh, a little bit about geeks and music because I had this thought the other day when I was driving in my car, and the thought is this. Most of my social circle are geeks, and a good number of these geeks also play musical instruments. Um, some, you know, play those analog instruments like piano and yeah, a guitar, and some are, you know, electronic. They play electronic guitar, or they'll um, actually uh, compose on a, a on GarageBand and, and stuff like that. And um, I've been wondering if people who play musical instruments are better geeks, because if you've ever played a musical instrument, you'll know... Uh, that you know, for trans, you know, if you need to go ahead and transpose music, uh, music theory, it's all based on math. And so I was just thinking, you know, maybe you have those skills that would make you a better geek. Uh, I don't know about yourselves, but um, when I was growing up, I actually played uh, four musical instruments. Yes, four. Not all at the same time, but different parts of my life, um, from elementary school all the way till um, high school. And uh, um, what I played was, uh, <laughs> I had to write this down. Uh, I played the violin from three, third through, I'm going to say fifth or sixth grade. Um, I played it long enough, well, 
Actually, they weren't going to let me play it in third grade because apparently I didn't have the skills to or I didn't have some, I don't know, the teacher didn't like me. My mom fought and she got me to, into the violin program. They told me, like, I signed up too late or something like that. But with that, <laughs> um, I actually played violin from um, third to, I, I want to say it was sixth grade because uh, I took private lessons too. And then when I was in sixth grade, uh, or fifth and sixth grade, I was in the um, the local youth orchestra. So, yep. That's a factoid. So, um, so when I was playing violin, um, in about uh, fourth grade, uh, I was introduced to um, to actually like a, a woodwind instrument called the bass clarinet. The, the music teacher, um, another music teacher in the same school, um, who taught band, had this bass clarinet hanging around. I don't know. Um, I got a flyer, you know, saying, you know, asking if anybody wanted to play it, and I was like, oh sure, because um, I, I surely like a challenge. And so I learned to play bass clarinet, and um, the, the best thing about playing bass clarinet is that I learned the fingerings of woodwind instruments. So that was the biggest takeaway I ever had from there. And I played the bass clarinet from 4th through 8th grade, actually. Um, it was kind of like not cool in 8th grade, after 8th grade to play it, so uh, that's why I stopped. But um, yeah, and it's a big thing. It's about, I want to say that's three and a half feet long, and you have to sit down to play it, and it has a stand, and yeah, it looks like a elongated clarinet with a... Um, uh, with a bent neck and and everything, so um, so I played that, and um, after I got bored of the bass clarinet because there was a horrible um, music teacher in a, in in our middle school, um, I I didn't play an instrument freshman year of, of high school. I was in band and I did flags, and I got so utterly bored with flags that um, the next year I was like, I'm going to play an instrument. I don't care what it is, and it had a they had an alto sax. Um, you know, in the music room. So I, so I picked that up and I played it, and I knew the fingerings. I only needed to know um, the transposition um, of the notes between the bass clarinet and an alto sax, because I want to say an alto sax starts at C. For some reason, I don't know why I want to say that now, but um, but I played that. So I learned to play. I picked it up in like two months, and I, I played it for band when I was a sophomore. And then the next year, I wanted an even better challenge, so I played the marching French horn. It's not. I didn't march with a French horn. I marched with what is considered a mellophone or mellophonium, there's a quite a debate about it. But what it is, it looks like a big fat ugly cousin of a trumpet, basically. So, um, so I played that, and I only got to master because it, it only had three um, valves on your, you know, your normal trumpet. Trumpet, and um, I could play about ten notes. That's the only. That's I, I could play it really limitedly. But, um, but yeah, I did that in junior year of of, um, of high school, and then the next year I wasn't in band, so that's why I didn't play anything. But anyway, with all that musical knowledge behind me, my thought is, because of those skills that I got um, playing a musical instrument, maybe that you know, makes me a better geek. I don't know. Um, I surely um, look forward to hearing from you guys uh, what, instru what instruments you play and if you're still playing them. Um, it's just something that I'm interested in. And it's also, you know, as I'm thinking about um, my daughter, you know, um, she's going to third grade, and I I'd really love for her to play an instrument, and so I'd like to you know, encourage her to do it. She doesn't have to, she doesn't want to, but I'd like, you know, to get her thinking about it, so. So, anyway, with that thought, <laughs> I think I'm going to go ahead and move along. Next, I'm going to talk about a little bit more geeky stuff. Other than music, I'm going to talk about architecting a site. And what I mean about site architecture, I mean about the um, the way you display in, um, data or information on your site. When we think about web design, we think about color, white space, placement of, of elements, 
um, how the front page looks. We think about the appearance. But another way we should be thinking about is the site architecture. And the reason why is because the way you architect a site um, vastly influences user behavior. And um, the first step to uh, site architecture is the following. It's to figure out how, what type of site that you want to have or what type of site, what's the aim of your site. Are you going to be um, an online retailer? Are you going to be a content-rich site? Are you going to be a membership site? Are you going to be a portal? And more than likely than not, your site's going to probably be a combination of the, of the site types that I just talked about. So, um, so with that in mind, I'm going to go ahead today and I'm going to talk about retail um, sites, mainly because I have a lot of experience with retail sites and, and architecting them. And I just had some, uh, some thoughts that I wrote down about um, site architecture on a retail site. First and foremost, cardinal rule of retail is that you want to have no more than four clicks from the home page to the shopping cart. And the reason for that is that the more clicks that you put between you and your um, shopping cart, uh, the, then the less likely that you're going to have a um, conversion. And we know, of course, that it's not, it's not really possible for a person to go ahead or a user to go ahead and just mainly click on the home page, you know, category page, product page, and then shopping cart. But we, what we want to do is really minimize the clicks that they have to do it. So uh, with with that in mind, uh, one of the cardinal, uh, one of the the most basic tricks you can do to make the click trail shorter is to uh, show as many of your products to the consumer up front. That means putting products on your home page, putting products on uh, products on your uh, category pages or your subcategory pages, you want to go, what your goal is really is to show the consumer as many products as you can. As my, um, as a friend of mine mentioned the other day, it's sort of like being, you know, like when you go into a department store in the mall and you go into the department store to look for one thing and you turn around and you're like, where the heck did I end up in? You know, like you can't get out of the department store, you have to go through like the cosmetics counter to get out. And the reason why they do it, the department store is, um, Designed that way is because department store wants you to see as many products as you can while you're in there. So same idea with uh, on online retailing. So typically your four clicks would be homepage, um, category page. Um, you might also have a subcategory page, um, product page, and then and then to your cart. So with that, um, for online retailers, another thought is. Um, or another major consideration is where you show your products. Uh, showing your product, you can show your products in many different places, and here's a few of them. First, you can show your products on. You can actually um, show products on category pages or subcategory pages. So, if you're a retailer and you're, let's say, um, you sell hardware, so you might have hardware. Your homepage talks about hardware, and then your sub. You might have a category for hammers. That'd be your category page, and then your subcategory page might be hammer, um, wooden handled hammers. That would be your subcat, and then your finally your subcat would you know have um, lists of products. Well, what I'm trying to say is that you can go ahead and put products on your category page too. Like, uh, for example, um, these are a sampling of your hammers that all the hammers you have, or these are a sampling, um, or you can give like examples of of hammers in each category, like like um, wooden handled hammers plastic hammer, handled hammers, mallets, which would be a type of hammer. So you can go ahead and do that. Another place to go ahead and show products is on a cross-selling product pages. You'd be surprised about how many online shopping um, uh, sites don't have cross-sells. And what cross-sells are, they are um, products that, that you would like to push along with the main product. 
So cross-sell, example of cross-sell, accessories, products from the same family. So if you've got, um, let's say, uh, let's go ahead and say you have a clothing um, online store and you're selling sweaters, well, products from the same family might be scarves or it might be knitted hats or it might be um, um, a knitted skirt. Um, also, um, another type of cross-sell, which is not used all that, uh, which a lot of people don't use and they could, is an upsell. And what an upsell is, an upsell is a product, a, ver a better version of your product or a higher quality version of your product. So if you've got uh, baskets, but you're going to, you know, on your one page, but you want to go ahead and sell, like, you've got the $7 um, basket on your uh, product page, why not sell, why not do a cross-sell for the $20 basket? And, and a lot of times you'll see it, um, see your site logs with, on an online retailer, you'll see the people, so you'll see people going back and forth, um, comparing, you know, like the lower quali quality version and the higher quality version. The one thing you don't want to do with a cross-sell, um, especially with, a, with an upsell, is sell down, which means on the $20 um, basket product page, you do not want to have the cheaper baskets. You just want to constantly sell up. So that's something to go ahead and think about. Also, um, in addition to upselling, like on that cross sell, you can also another way of showing products is upselling. Um, put the upsell offer at or just before the checkout, um, and what that means is that you'll have your you have the person you have them on their shopping cart. You might have a product um, an upsell at the, the shopping cart. So hey, you know you're going ahead and you're buying um, uh, uh, lamps. Well, how about if you um, how about if you do um, an upsell of um, of not only lamps but lamp shades at the, at the shopping cart? So, so that's another thought about showing products. Now, you might be asking yourself, how does that cardinal rule of four, um, no more than four clicks to, to the shopping cart work with showing these products all over the place uh, on your category pages and your subcategory pages? Well, how you get around that four-click rule, or how you promote that four-click rule, I should say, is that you put, whenever you show a product, you put a buy button. So let's say if you have your product um, and it's showing on this subcategory page, um, put a buy button on there, and the, and the buy button will take them to the cart. Now, now, this strategy will work for products that are very simple or very, you know, straightforward. Like if you've got, um, if, if you've got a box, if you're selling boxes online, like, and you want to sell, and, and you put it on the product page, you, you have, like, a, a descriptive title of your product, and, it, you know, very simply, they're going to get, a, you know, like, hit the buy button, and they're going to get a box. That's the time to put a buy button. The exception to putting a buy button to, on your pro, um, every time you show a product, is when you have a complicated product or you have a complicated checkout. Like, if you go to checkout where there's customization involved, personalization, um, You'd be advised not to put the buy button everywhere, only because you don't want to get your you, you don't want to make your user go into a complicated checkout without having everything they want um, in their basket already, because you'll just frustrate them more. Okay, so that's the one exception for the buy button if it, for the complicated checkout or complicated product configuration. In addition, if you can go ahead and do this, um, you might want to go ahead and think about not having subcategories on, on your website. And the reason why, especially for a retailer, not having subcategories would be good is because if you have a wide, shallow um, category system, is that you'd be showing that your, 
user more products whenever they go ahead and click into a category rather than having them go ahead and click into a category and then subcategory. So it's something to think about. The only drawback with not having subcategories is that you'd have less content on your site and so you'd have less, you know, content for let's say Googlebot to go ahead and um, in, in, go ahead and index. But go ahead and wait, go ahead and uh, wait, wait each um, Pro and con, and for some of you, if you have a really simple product um, uh, selection, it might be a you know, better idea to have no um, no, no product category subcategories. One final thing when you're thinking about architecting your site is that the most important pages um, on your site when you're architecting your site is your home page, your product pages, and your checkout pages. Those are the most important pages: the category, subcategory pages, and even the um, the how-to pages, the about us, or the about us, the fact, those are not as important. But what you want to focus on, again, is the home page, uh, product pages, and checkout. If those don't work, then nothing else is really going to work for you. Finally, before I end this, um, I wanted to give you um, thoughts about the home page. Um, thoughts about the home page. Uh, something you might have to think about with the home page is how detailed do you want the home page to be. Uh, do you want to show a lot of items on your homepage? Do you want to have? Do you want to go ahead and show categories on your um, homepage? Uh, you might want to. You might want to go um, and list not only categories but subcategories on your homepage. You might want to go ahead and have your, uh, you know, what's on sale on your homepage. So um, think about how detailed your homepage is. Also, I'm noticing with homepages is um, another thing I'm noticing is that Google is. Considering products on the homepage as important, or um, you know, product listings on the homepage as important, I can see that. So I would suggest if you have something that you're trying to promote, um, put that on your homepage. So that's something, or you have a, a category that you really want to um, go ahead and promote, put that on your homepage. And um, no site would be complete without menus. And with your menus, uh, you got to think about um, how detailed they are, also how dynamic they are, if they're dynamic or static. If you have a static homepage um, menu, that means that, that the menu doesn't change um, even if somebody clicks on it. While a uh, dynamic um, menu, that means that you might have drop, you might click on an option and a drop down might appear or, or whatnot. Uh, the one uh, continual piece of feedback I'm getting about menus is that the drop down menus um, are not good. Like I get a lot of like negative feedback about that. So just to let you know, if you can, uh, I mean, I, I know some sites do employ um, drop-down menus. Just think about the people who, what you're obscuring if you're doing a, um, a drop-down menu. Also, um, with menus, uh, how do you express the menu? Um, do you put it at the top of the page or, you know, across? Do you want to put it on the left traditionally or on the right? You know, be a little bit different. Um, also, do you want to have... Um, elements only on the menu and express nowhere else, or you want to have elements that are repeated. Um, they're on the left menu, but you might find them elsewhere. You might put them in the footer, you might put them in the top banner um, section of your website. That's something else to think about. Um, but if there's anything that I want you to take away from this, discuss this short little discussion I'm having with you guys about start architecture, it's this. You want to think about how you show your, your data, because how you you present your information on your website influences the effectiveness in your site and garnering con conversions. Okay, so the more the, the smarter that you display information, the better you'll see a better conversion rate. All right then. 
Well, I'm going to go from site architecture to um, talking about uh, a project called uh, Fedora Woman. And um, Fedora Woman is an uh, effort by the Fedora community to boost participation by women in Fedora, in, in the whole um, Fedora movement. What Fedora is, it's a, um, it's a free distribu a Linux distribution. It's actually um, sponsored by Red Hat, which is the granddaddy of all um, Linux, well, one of the, I want to say, a granddaddy of, 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 of Linux distributions. So the idea of this Fedora Women Project is to have a safe place where women can go ahead and talk about Linux, you know, because that's what I do with my girlfriends, right? But um, um, I, I just want to say that I'm not quite sure about this Fedora project. I mean, I know the intentions are well. I know what they want to do is go ahead and boost participation. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, like, while that's all well and good, you know, first of all, a computer doesn't care what gender you are, you know, behind the keyboard. It really doesn't. You could be man, woman, or, a, you know, mountain goat. It doesn't really care, as long as you're pressing the right buttons. But also, you know, being out in the real world, you gotta... Women are not separate, you know. We work with men, and, um, yes, technology is one of those places where, you know, you're gonna be in a room, and more likely than not, you're gonna be one of the only females there. And I, yeah, I've done that, um, been in that situation, you know, many, many times. So, uh, you know, like, while my feminist credentials might be uh, taken away by saying this, um, if my, and even my college degree, because I went to a female-only college, um, I, I still don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, that's that's great, I guess, if you want to go ahead and participate in Fordor One, but it's not something that I would go ahead and, and, and promote. Um, I don't know. I just, I'd much rather see role models being um, promoted rather than role model just because they're a woman being promoted. But um, but the Fedora Woman um, thing uh, gave me an idea, and I know that um, Fedora Woman's not the, the first organization based upon gender. There's also like the long-running um, Linux Chicks, and um, there's also the Linux do Documentation Project, which was born out of a woman's need to get better documentation for Linux. Um, Another thought, though, and this is something that's been bothering me for actually a while, or I've been considering for actually a while, is that um, the most, uh, you know, successful tech women in tech right now, um, they're part of a, a couple, and their, you know, partner is also doing the same thing as they are. Like, for example, Katarina Fake, who is one of the founders of Flickr, founded Flickr with her husband, um, Mina Trott. Who, um, who is one of the founders of Six Apart, the blogging software um, uh, company. She, you know, founded it with her husband. So, um, you know, instead of having women um, segregated, maybe we should think about how, um, how women can be supported and, you know, you know, being part of a couple and being part of a couple where, you know, the... Um, the one understands the other's need to, you know, stay home and be on the computer on a, on a Saturday night um, might be more important than um, having female-only um, websites. So, I don't know. That, that's just um, my thought right there. But, um, you know, I'm, I, all I know is that I'd rather promote skills rather than differentiate based on gender. So with that, I think it's okay to um, go ahead and end the Clever Hack podcast. I apologize for the... For the uh, the noise that you hear in the background, it's my um, neighbor who is slamming his door. So go ahead and send your uh, um, Linux distro disks 
um, no gender specified on them, of course, to blog at cleverhack.com. And I hope you guys all have a great week. Thanks, and bye.